0: All right, well, let's go to God's Word as today we're going to begin a three-part Christmas series called A Christmas Carol, How Not to Be Haunted by Your Past, Present, and Future. If you're new with us this morning, you'll find a sermon note sheet inside your bulletin that will help you better follow along. Well, is there anyone more in need of the transformation of Christmas than the selfish, miserly, misery, miserly, grumpy, old Ebenezer Scrooge. Was there anyone further away from Christmas than him? Ebenezer Scrooge has, if you think about it, he's become the poster child for the opposition to Christmas. In fact, his very name has become synonymous with not being very festive. And does anybody remember the famous line from the story that he says about Christmas? What is it? Yeah, bah. Let's say that together. Humbug. Everybody knows that. Now, in case you're not familiar with this classic story written by Charles Dickens, or it's been a while, let me give you some of the gist of it. The opening scene of A Christmas Carol begins with a contrast between Ebenezer Scrooge and his nephew, Fred. And what you find is his nephew, Fred, he is full of life. He is full of Christmas joy while Scrooge, on the other hand, is full of misery and greed. And later that night, we find out that Scrooge is visited by the ghost of his dead business partner, Marley, who just happens to be carrying around heavy chains throughout eternity. And Marley comes to Scrooge, and he warns, them, warns him, if he doesn't allow Christmas to change him, he too will spend eternity in chains Just like him. And so Marley goes on to tell him he's going to be visited that particular night by three different ghosts. He's going to be visited by the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. Well, when the ghost of Christmas past arrives, he takes Scrooge on a tour of his past. And we get a little bit of a glimpse into why Scrooge is the way that he is. We find out that his mother died when he was young and that his father was a very harsh man who sent him off the boarding school that, where he felt very much alone and abandoned, even more so when his beloved sister dies way too young. We also find out that Scrooge loses the love of his life, Belle. What happens is she confronts him over his love of business over her and he chooses money and greed instead of her. And then what the ghost of Christmas past does is he proceeds to give Scrooge a glimpse into Belle's life without him. And although she's very different than him in the fact that she's very poor, although she's poor, she's happily married, has a beautiful family, she's full of light, love, and Christmas joy. This trip into the past for Scrooge, actually brings tears to his eyes. Because what it is, is it's all a painful reminder of why his heart is full of Bah Humbug. It's full of Ba Humbug because of his past. His pain is rooted in his past. And what you find in this story is Dickens uses contrasts all throughout the story. He contrasts Scrooge with his nephew, Fred. He contrasts Scrooge and how his life is with Belle's life. He contrasts Scrooge with his employee, Bob Cratchit. And so you see all these contrasts through the story. And Dickens does all this with a purpose in mind. He's trying to accomplish something with this fictional story. And he actually doesn't leave it a mystery. He tells us what it is. Before he even begins the story, in the preface of the book, Dickens writes this, and I have it in your notes. I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly, and no one wish to lay it. Now, what a, what a great line there. Think about it. May it haunt their houses pleasantly. What does that mean? Well, Dickens wrote this story to make people think and feel about their own lives. The ghost of Christmas past was sent to confront Scrooge's past. Why? Because it's what haunts him. The loss of his mother, the loss of his sister, the harsh treatment by his father, the loss of the love of his life. Do you understand this man has been damaged by his past, by the decisions of other people, by his own bad decisions? And sometimes he was just damaged with the realities of living in a broken, flawed world. And what you find is Scrooge needs healing from his past, but the problem for old Ebenezer is he continues to look in all the wrong directions, to the wrong things. And in Scrooge's case, to the things like money and business. Now, what Scrooge does with the Ghost of Christmas Past is he asks him a very important question. He's frustrated with having to look at his past, and so he turns to the Ghost of Christmas Past, and he says to him, what do you want with me? And the answer the Ghost tells him (coughs) is why Dickens wrote this timeless classic. He says to Scrooge, what I want with you is your reclamation. You See, Dickens understood the importance of a person needing Christ in their life. Okay, You have to understand something about this story. Christmas in a Christmas carol is meant to be synonymous with Christ. That was Dickens' intent, to lead people to that conclusion. The key to Scrooge's healing is only going to be found in knowing the joy of Christmas or Christ. That's the point of the story. The key to overcoming the hauntings of his past is Christmas. And I have this in your notes. And it really is the premise for this series Christmas is about reclamation. It's about God sending his son Jesus into this world to redeem us. It's about him sending Jesus to what is broken, what is sinful, what is wounded, what is messed up in order to bring us back, not pay us back. Do you understand Christmas is about God wanting to bring reclamation in our lives by way of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? That's why he sent Jesus to this earth to be Emmanuel, God with us, because he loves us and wants to reclaim us. He wants to reclaim our story for our good and for his glory. What God wants to do is He wants to bring healing to our past through Jesus. He wants to bring help to our present through a personal relationship with Jesus. and He wants to give us hope when it comes to our future, through our relationship yes. with Jesus. Yes. when you begin to understand that, you begin to understand what Christmas is all about, and it begins to set the stage for you not to be haunted by your past present and future. Yes. So that's what we're going to talk about in this series. Now, with that as an introduction, today what I want to do is I want to talk about the ghosts of Christmas past. As we begin, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I pray that as we make our way through this series, I pray, Father, that you would, you would haunt our hearts pleasantly. That we would truly understand the joy of all that we have in our relationship with you. I, I, I boldly pray, Father, that you would break any chains that weigh us down in the name of Jesus. And I pray that if there are any in this place that don't know you personally, that they will before the series is through. Lord, I pray that you would reclaim our souls. I pray that you would reclaim our hearts. I pray that you would reclaim our emotions. I pray that you would reclaim our stories, our very past, our very lives in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it might surprise you that the Christmas story in the Bible actually begins with the ghosts of Christmas past. It starts with a list of people from the past, those who came before Jesus, people whose lives have already come and gone from this world. So let's begin by reading in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is actually how your New Testament begins. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram and Ram, the father of Abinadad and Abinadad, the father of Nashon and Nashon, the father of Salmon and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Ruth And Boaz, the father of Obed uh, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to bore you with all the other names, in this list. You feel like you're at a high school graduation, right? It's just name after name after name. But let me pick it up down in verse 16, because this list of names is leading us somewhere. It's leading us to someone. Look at it. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, to whom, what's the name? Jesus. Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Why in the world would Matthew start the Christmas story like this? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but Luke's version is a little more exciting. <laughs> At least we got angels flying around, coming to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then coming to Mary. Uh, Mary. But, but why does Matthew start the Christmas story like this? It hardly seems appealing. It hardly seems appropriate. But it's very important for two reasons. Yes. Let me give those two reasons to you. First reason Matthew begins with a genealogy it was to prove who Jesus was. You have to understand that Matthew wrote his gospel with a Jewish audience in mind. In the Old Testament God promised Israel that one day a king a messiah would come through their nation to establish an everlasting kingdom. <coughs> God also said that that messiah would come through the family tree that runs through Father Abraham and King David. I want you to understand every Jewish person in Jesus' day knew that fact from their understanding of the Old Testament. That's why this family tree begins by mentioning two very important Jewish names. Look at it once again. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of, who is it? David. And the son of Abraham. David and Abraham. If you were trying to prove to a Jewish audience that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, okay, the very first thing that you had to prove was, does he have the right credentials genealogically to be that Messiah? I mean, you can go and start with all the miracles, but nobody's going to care about the miracles until they understand, is this guy fit what the Old Testament says he would be through the genealogical line in the Old Testament? And so Matthew answers that question right up front. Before he talks about the miracles, before he talks about anything, that's what sets the stage for everything else he's going to say. And by the way, when Matthew wrote this, the Jews were meticulous record keepers, and they had one particular place in Jerusalem, it was called the House of Records, where they would have a record of everybody in Jewish society, what tribe they were from, what their lineage was, they were meticulous record keepers. This was all lost in 70 AD when Rome came in and destroyed Jerusalem. So now people in Jewish cult, they don't know what tribe they're from anymore because all those records were lost. But at the time this was written, anybody could go down to that place, almost like going to the library, and say, yeah, he's right. Whether we believe Jesus is the Messiah or not, one thing's for sure, he does have the credentials. So Matthew begins with a genealogy, first of all, to help prove who Jesus was. He had the right credentials. Second reason was to tell us why Jesus came. Now, can I say this? Anytime a person begins to research their family roots, it could be a very risky proposition. Because sometimes there are some surprises in the family tree. How many know family trees don't always look so pretty? My sister did some research on my family tree on the Rendulic side. And to our surprise, we found out that this guy was in it. Let me, let me show you this. This guy, his name is Lothar Rendulic. Okay? In case you don't know the uniform, he's a Nazi general. You're welcome. You feel better about your family already, right? You're like, I got FDR in my line. I got Martin Luther King Jr. in my line. I get the Nazi general, okay? You can't read the quote there in the newspaper clipping that I have of this, but it says, if you're going to be a general, you can have feelings. This guy was actually convicted of war crimes in the Nuremberg trials in 1948 and spent 20 years in prison for those crimes. Can I say it isn't just this guy in my family tree? I could tell you some not-so-good things in my family tree that are fairly recent, some things that have actually directly affected my own personal life. Things like sexual abuse and addiction and suicide and divorces. Lots and lots of dysfunction and brokenness. And I'm positive that if you research your family tree, you too are going to discover lots of dysfunction and brokenness. Now you would think that Jesus's genealogy would be full of people with spotless records. You would think that God would descend Jesus, his sinless, perfect, holy son, from a bunch of people who had it all together. But that isn't what you find at all. Instead, the family tree of Jesus, too, is full of mess. But you know what it's also full of? It's also full of God's amazing love and grace as well. You know what it's full of? It's full of reclamations. What I want to do with the rest of our time that we have remaining this morning is look at a few of these ghosts from Christmas past. Because they very clearly teach us that Christmas, the invitation of Christmas is for everyone. Even the most miserable Ebenezer Scrooges of the world. The first of the ghosts from Christmas past that Matthew purposely draws our attention to is Judah and his brothers. And so let's look at it. Once again in the list, verse 2, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of, and here's the important part that just sticks out. Judah and his brothers. You understand that's extra commentary. This is not like a normal genealogical list that just goes name after name. You're going to see time and time again as we go through this, Matthew is purposely drawing our attention to some stories from these ghosts of the past. Now, mentioning Judah and his brothers is significant to the Jewish people for two reasons. One, Judah and his brothers... Are, are where the 12 tribes of Israel came from. Okay, Jacob's 12 sons became the 12 tribes. Second, this story is significant, and why, why, why Matthew draws our attention to it is because of what transpired between these 12 brothers. You see, you have to understand, Jacob, their father, because of family dysfunction, ended up with two different wives. Remember? He was tricked, and then he ended up with two different wives. Remember that? And what ensued was a baby competition between those wives for Jacob's love. And these wives even gave their servants to him to have babies with. So get this. Jacob ends up with 12 sons from four different women. And you thought your family was messed up. (laughs) Well, this was his family. And this family was so dysfunctional, so messed up, that these brothers become jealous of one of their own brothers, sell their brother Joseph into slavery without their father's, Jacob's knowledge. They lie about what they did. They tell their father that Joseph had been eaten by a wild animal. And you know, although the story, long story short, Joseph ends up a slave and prisoner in Egypt for 13 years, all the while never giving up on his faith in God. And that faith that he had in God, what it did did, is it miraculously set up the stage for this amazing story that was going to transpire. What happens is God opens the door for Joseph to become Pharaoh's right-hand man. And Joseph, with God's help, prepares Egypt and the world for a coming seven-year famine. Well, when that famine eventually hits... It finally hits the land of where Judah and where Joseph's brothers, where Judah and the rest of the brothers and Jacob and their family are living, and they're now in need of food or they're all going to die. And so desperate for food, they travel to Egypt looking for, for that. But when what, what they end up finding was something so much greater than food. Do you know what they ended up running into? Their past. Yeah. But they run into something even greater than just their past. They end up running right smack into God's grace. How many know sometimes you ain't looking for God's grace, but it comes looking for you? Although they had sold Joseph into slavery, God, through Joseph, ends up saving the entire family from starvation and certain death. You talk about God's grace. Not only are they saved from starvation, but you end up with forgiveness and reconciliation (laughs) takes place between them all. And this broken family ends up being a beautiful display of what God's grace is all about. Do you know what God's grace is all about? Do you know what he's working to do? It's called reclamation after their father, Jacob, eventually dies, the brothers are now concerned that Joseph is now going to take his revenge on them with their father now out of the way for what they did to him all those years ago. But look what Joseph tells them, Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You understand this is all a picture of what Jesus would do for us. Joseph's a picture. It's an Old Testament picture. It's what the reclamation project of God through Jesus is all about. God wants to save. He wants to restore. He wants to bring unity once again. He wants to bring transformation to what was broken for our good and for his glory. God wants to save us. But he wants to do more than that. He wants to reclaim our past. He wants to turn something that haunts us into a testimony. That we find joy in Jesus because of what he did with our past. Now, back to Matthew chapter 1. There's a second ghost from the past that, once again, Matthew is purposely drawing our attention to. Her name is Tamar. Look at it, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, and here's the extra commentary, by Tamar. Now, can I just tell you, it is highly unusual in in the ancient world that you would include a woman in any sort of genealogy. But Matthew, as we're going to see, includes four women in the list, five if you want to count Mary, and the first one we find in the list is a woman by the name of Tamar, she's a Canaanite woman. She's a non-Jewish foreigner. And her story is found back in Genesis chapter 38, when Judah, one of the same sons of Jacob that we just talked about in the last point, when when one of his sons got married, uh, one of his three sons got married, his oldest son married this woman, Tamar. And you have to understand, his oldest son, Judah's oldest son, was very wicked. I, I think that's evidenced in the fact that he married Tamar to begin with. Because God told them, don't marry the Canaanite people. They're going to lead you astray. You don't marry them. They're a cursed people. But he marries this woman. And he's a very wicked man. He is so evil that God strikes him down and kills him. That's how evil he is. And he died without any sons. And so was the custom of the day was this. The next son of Judah, Onan, was now responsible to marry Tamar, his brother's widow, have a son with her so his dead brother's inheritance and family line would continue. That was the tradition in Jewish culture. But Onan did not want to have a son with her. Like his older brother, he too was very wicked. And so here's what happens. He sleeps with Tamar, but doesn't want to release his seed in her. Instead, he allows his seed to spill on the ground. Yep. Folks, you can't make this stuff up. You sure <laughs> you're, like, you're like, I know the Bible's real. <laughs> the Bible's full of real people, real life, real hurt, real brokenness. Well, God strikes down Onan for his wickedness as well. And so the, the last son that Judah has now is responsible to give Tamar offspring. But Judah's afraid to give his, give his last son to her. So he tells her, look, my son's too young. Just go live with your father for now. Eventually, I'll give him to you to marry. And that's what Tamar does. And she patiently waits. And she's okay with waiting because, understand, a woman in this ancient cult- culture, she's not looking for a lover. She's looking for a provider. She's looking for security. She's just looking for her survival. Well, as time goes by and that other third son, the youngest son, grows up, she realizes Judah has no intention of giving this son to her. And when she realizes that, she dresses up like a prostitute, tricks Judah into sleeping with her, and she becomes pregnant by him. Now understand, Judah doesn't realize that the prostitute that he just slept with was Tamar. And word gets out about Tamar being pregnant by way of prostitution and Judah is told about it. Look at it. Genesis verse 38, verse 24. It said, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, he sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these things, she said. And she added, see if you could recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Apparently, Judah left some things behind. (laughs) How many know men are sloppy in their affairs? (laughs) You women know that. Men, this is why you should never cheat, right? You're going to get caught. And it says Judah recognized that. Now, if you go back to Matthew chapter one, you think to yourself, that story is a stain on the family tree. I mean, if I were God, I probably wouldn't have chosen Judah and Tamar to bring the line of Jesus through. You would thought <coughs> you would have thought that God would have run it through Joseph, right? Joseph is the, the godly one in the story. Joseph is the hero in the story, but God chooses Judah and his incestuous relationship with a foreign Canaanite woman named Tamar instead. Why not just say in the genealogical record, why doesn't Matthew just say Judah, the father of Perez, and leave it at that? Why mention Tamar in this shameful incident? Because God wants us to know that the gospel of Jesus Christ centers around people just like that. Like Tamar, who have been victimized and mistreated and hurt. He wants people to understand that the gospel is for people who have been left outside of the system, people who have been forgotten about. Jesus comes to people who are the outcast of society, that's who he came to die for. That's the story of Tamar. Hope for the forgotten. Hope for the lost. Inheritance restored by the grace of God. That's what Christmas is about. Once again, what is it about? It's about reclamation. It's about God redeeming people from the ghosts of their past. Now, that leads us to a third ghost from the Christmas past that Matthew, once again, I keep telling you this, he purposely draws our attention to, her name is Rahab. And here's what's interesting about Rahab. If you know anything about Rahab, anywhere she's mentioned in the Bible, there's a a title that goes with her. Let me show you what it is. Joshua 6, verse 17, Rahab the Prostitute. prostitute. Not only was she a prostitute, but she too, like Tamar, was a Canaanite. She was from a very wicked group of people. And Joshua chapter 2 tells us her story. If you remember, the children of Israel getting ready to go into the promised land. and, And there's a very large fortified city called Jericho that's in the way. And Joshua, the leader of Israel, what he does is he sends out two spies to scope off the city, and Rahab ends up helping them. And in fact, it says this, look at this, Joshua chapter two, verse eight. It says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. That's where she was hiding them. And she says this, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. Now, to make a long story short, what ends up happening is, do you understand, she's putting her faith in the God of the Hebrews right here. And when the walls of Jericho end up falling, remember how they marched around the walls of Jericho, they shouted, they blew the trumpets. When those walls fa- fell, understand God saves Rahab and her family from destruction. She's the only one of, the, of that city that is saved, that the only, her and her family, the only people that are saved, she's not only saved from death. I mean, that would have been enough. But God graciously chooses, get this, to put her in Jesus' family tree, yeah. a former prostitute. Do you understand when she let the two spies into her home, she was most likely going about her normal business of just trying to make a living using her body the way she always had. But when she invited those men in, the grace of God came rolling into her life. That's some of your testimonies, right? I was out just doing what I do, and somehow, someway, the grace of God came rolling into my life. This is a wonderful picture of what Christmas is all about, why Jesus came. He came to rescue people who have a checkered past. God included her because she perfectly represents that no one is beyond the reach of his grace Even the Ebenezer Scrooges of this world. Even the prostitutes of this world. He wants to take them and heal them and reclaim them for their good and for his glory. Rahab reminds us that if someone has a heart to hear, they can be reclaimed no matter what the ghost of their past may be. And do, you, do you know? Do you know what was a part of the story of her, be, the reason that she was able to be saved? It was because of a scarlet rope. You say, what do you mean? Look at this. Joshua chapter two, verse seventeen and eighteen. It says, before they left, talking about the spies, the men told her, "We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions." When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. And sure enough, the Hebrews come and they marched around that room, that, that walls, and there was a scarlet rope hanging out that, that wall. And when they shouted, every bit of the wall fell except the part where Rahab's house was. Yes. Why? because she made a decision to put that scarlet rope outside her window. Do you understand that's a picture of what Jesus would come to do one day when his scarlet blood would be shed for her down the line in the family of God. It's what provided the foundation for her life to be turned around by faith in the God who had a plan to reclaim her life through Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? There's a third ghost of Christmas past that Matthew purposely draws our attention to. Her name is Ruth. Look at verse five. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Now, her story is found in the Old Testament book of anybody know? Ruth. You guys are way too smart, right? (laughs) Ruth, the Bible tells us, was a Moabite. She's a foreigner as well. In fact, she was from a wicked group of people that God actually cursed in Deuteronomy chapter 23. The Moabites were a people who came from Abraham's nephew, Lot. Do you remember that story? Remember how, how, how what happened with Lot? Lot's daughters got him drunk and had children went through him. Okay, once again, you can't make this stuff up. So Ruth, get this, is from an incestuous family tree. She was already born with a raw deal, and then she experienced a raw deal. What happens is a Hebrew man she married ends up dying and leaving her in Jewish society without a son. And Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, were now in danger of losing the family inheritance without a male to carry it on. And We talked about this earlier in the story of Tamar. It was the job of the next kinsman to redeem the situation. Well, Ruth's faith to stay with her mother-in-law, Naomi, rather than go find a new husband from her own people, sets the stage for the grace of God to go to work in her life. And it comes through a family member of Naomi's named Boaz. Naomi doesn't have any more sons to give her, so the family inheritance and the family line could continue legally. And so so it was the next of kin if there were no sons. And and here's the thing, the next of kin had to be willing to do it. And there was a godly man who was related to Naomi named Boaz. Boaz. And you remember the story, Boaz marries Ruth, they have a son, and the family inheritance for Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, is restored. And so here's a cursed Moabite woman that comes from much brokenness, who puts her faith in God and ends up experiencing her amazing grace. Boaz ends up being her kinsman, Redeemer, He's restoring for her what is lost. You understand that's a picture of Jesus because Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. We lost eternal life, but he restores it for us. Here's the question I want you to think about. Why was a righteous, godly Hebrew man like Boaz willing to marry a Moabite woman named Ruth? me tell you why because he was a man who understood God's grace how many know when you experience God's grace in your own life it's easier to give God's grace you say what are you talking about I want you to notice who Boaz's mama was look at it and Salmon the father of Boaz by his mama was Rahab the prostitute who experienced the amazing grace of God in her life God by his grace redeemed a cursed woman and put her in the family tree of Jesus. He didn't have to do that. He could have just saved her. He could have just restored the inheritance for the family. But God says, no, I want the line of Jesus to go through her because she represents exactly what Christmas and the gospel is all about. It's about reclamation through Jesus. Well, There are two more ghosts from the Christmas past list that Matthew gives that he draws attention to. Their names are, and you know this story well, David and Bathsheba. Look at verse 6, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon. How many of them know who Solomon is? He would be the king after David. How many love the Proverbs? Solomon wrote most of those. Book of Ecclesiastes, God used Solomon to write that. So notice, and David was the father of Solomon, now watch this, by the wife of Uriah. Now, we we know the story fairly well. 2 Samuel chapter 11, you remember what happens? David and Bathsheba commit adultery. Bathsheba becomes pregnant, and David has her husband Uriah killed on the battlefield Okay, He set him up to be killed where it didn't look like it was... He he put him in a spot to be killed purposely. So he did it in order to cover his sin. I want you to notice that Matthew doesn't even use Bathsheba's name specifically. Instead, he calls her what? Uriah's wife. Why? Because he's purposely drawing our attention to their sin. Now, if you know the story, long story short... God confronts David about a sin. David repents and gets right with God. Eventually, David and Bathsheba would have a son named Solomon. And Think about this. Get this. It's Solomon that God chooses to bring Jesus through. You say, okay, what's the big deal? David had other wives. This hardly seems... Fair, a relationship that should have not even been because of sin. God, by his grace, chooses to reclaim for his good purposes. And once again, why draw your attention to these people in the list? Why did God put them in the list? Because this is what Jesus is all about. He's about taking the mistakes of the past and reclaiming them for testimonies in the future. Why begin the Christmas story with Jesus' family tree, with these ghosts from Christmas past? Why draw our attention to all the flaws in it? Because it powerfully communicates Christmas. Jesus. Mm -hmm. When your life is plowed under and it seems like all hope is lost, if you have Jesus, you have hope. When it seems like life is falling apart and it's over, you have Jesus. You have hope. You see, the good news of this genealogy is simply this, that God can work through the failures, the tragedies, the mistakes, the mishaps, the misfortunes of your past in order to reclaim it for your good. And for his glory, he can help us rise above the curse and the worst. See, you can skip past these ghosts of Christmas past in Matthew's version of the Christmas story, but to do so would be to miss the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is that we serve a gracious God who cares about people who loves us yes. and will keep his promises to help us rise above our failures of this life through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to share with you some closing thoughts. Number one, God's grace is greater than your past. Amen. Yes. Some of you are in here this morning and you're thinking, I've done some things in my past and I'm just kind of hoping that God will take me. Can I tell you the truth is God doesn't want to just take you. He's got his arms wide open and he's saying, run to me because you're just the perfect candidate for what I do best in people's lives. I'm about reclamation. I'm not just about giving them a ticket to heaven. I'm about reclamation. God's grace is greater than your past. Some of you are struggling with some things in your past this morning. You're even a Christian. You're going to heaven. That's settled. You love the Lord, but you're still looking at your past. And I want to say to you this morning, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That he's still got a plan for your life. You may have been down a road recently that is hard and it is difficult. But if you've got Jesus in your life, he's got a plan to reclaim what has happened in your life. Number two, God's grace always flows through Christ. Please get that down. Some of us, we're looking in all kinds of different directions to try to deal with our past. We're looking to relationships. We're, we're looking to money. We're looking to greed. We're looking to this and we're looking to that. Listen, nothing else is going to satisfy your soul and get you past your past. Nothing's going to do it except for the one who God sent in his name is Jesus. Some of you just need to say, mercy. You've tried everything else. You've run here and there. And Jesus is saying, come to me because I am the one who through reclamation grows. Number three, God is working to bring about your reclamation in Christ. Believe it. Stand on it in faith. Some of you have had a tough year. Some of you have had a raw deal. But here's the good news: Jesus has made His way into your life, and 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 I'm telling you, you're not going to be the same tomorrow that you are today, because your heavenly Father does what He does best through Jesus. If you will hang on to Jesus, He's going to reclaim your story for good. Just what He does. You know, it's one of the things I love about Hope Fellowship Church. Some of you, some of you, you're going through some difficult things right now, and God has you in the right place. This church, I say it all the time, this church is the most perfect, imperfect, messy church you've ever seen in your life. Because for some reason, God brings the Rahabs and the Tamars and the Ruths. And the David and Bathsheba's and the Judas and their brothers. And what happens is they find Jesus. And you know what happens over time? Jesus begins to reclaim their story for their good and for God's glory. You say, I I don't understand. You know, I've been a Christian for a little while now, and God's done some good things in my life, but He's just not moving fast enough. How many can say amen sometimes to that? I promise you, He's moving. And here's what we're going to talk about How does God bring about reclamation in Christ in our life? What's that process? Well, here's the answer to that He does it through the ghost of Christmas present. We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> Listen, to come back next week. Because what God wants to do in your life, the work that he wants to do in your life is very similar to the work that he did in the Virgin Mary's life. He helped her by the power of the Holy Spirit with everything that Jesus wanted to do in her life. So you know what i to miss next week. Would you bow your heads with me? As we close this morning. I feel like for some of you this morning, the Lord wanted to encourage you this morning. Your story is not over. It's worth it to fight. It's worth it to stand in there. It's worth it to turn back to Jesus. He's got a plan for you. He knows what's best. Don't run here. Don't run there. God wants you to run to Jesus because that's where your healing from your past is going to be found. That's where help for your present is going to be found. And that's where hope for your future is going to be found. And so this morning, I would say to some of you that are are in this place that are struggling, and you've been a Christian for a long time, it's time for you once again to get serious about your relationship with Jesus Christ, because that's where reclamation is going to be found. Only Jesus can do it, and he wants to do it, and he's ready to do it. So if that's you this morning, and say, God, I just turned to you. I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to put my trust in you. That as I partner with you, you're going to reclaim something wonderful here. Maybe you're here this morning, you have never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and you have never put your faith in Jesus. This is where reclamation starts. God sent Jesus to die for our sins, to pay the price for our mess and for our past so that we could be made right with the holy God. This is where it starts you have never put your faith in Jesus I encourage you to do that right now where you're at would you just pray from your heart to God's heart dear God I come to you today and I realize I need you more than ever I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me on a cross to pay the price for my sin so that through him I could be made right with you and reclamation can happen In the name of Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. And Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord and the Savior of my life from this day forward. Lord, thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus. We all said together, amen. Would you go ahead and stand with me? I'm going to ask my prayer partners if they'd go ahead and come. Prayer partners, would you come? If you're here this morning and you're struggling with some things in your life, Listen, this is a great opportunity. Come up and pray. Maybe you're going through something in your family. Come up and pray. We'd love to pray over you. Ask the Lord to work in that area of your life. Like the power of Jesus is here. You don't want to miss it. So if you need prayer, would you go ahead and come at this time? The rest of you, God bless you. Don't forget to, to get your picture out there at the picture booth. We'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday.